you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that your grace covers us. Father, it doesn't cover us because we are good enough. Your grace doesn't cover us because we deserve it. Your grace doesn't cover us because uh, we have done something that has has forced your hand to do something that you didn't really want to do. Father, your grace covers us because you love us. And you loved us before we ever loved you. And even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so your grace covering us is a free gift from you. That's why it's called grace. Father, it's not something that we have earned or deserve or will ever be able to pay you back for. And so we thank you. Father, because if it wasn't by grace, then there would be no covering for our sin. Father, but we thank you that you have provided that covering, and his name is Jesus. The blood of Jesus covers over our sin, washes them away, and leaves us white as snow. And Father, you don't hold those sins against us any longer, but your word tells us that you Remove them as far as the east is from the west. And so, Father, we praise you. We thank you, Lord. As we come to this time in our service, Father, where we open up your word and read it and seek to understand it, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak your truths into our hearts and into our minds and into our lives. Father, and as As your Holy Spirit is speaking your truth to us, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be convicting us. Father, we are not a perfect people, even as people who have been set free from our sin and those of us who have trusted Christ and our sins are forgiven. Father, we are not yet perfect. We are not yet fully formed into the image of Christ. And so our prayer this morning as followers of Christ is that you would mold us through this passage more into the image of your son as we are led to worship you and to depend on you even more and more each and every day. Father, I pray for anyone here who is not trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Maybe they're trusting in something else completely. Maybe they're trusting in Jesus plus something else. Father, I pray that today you would help them clearly see their inability to be saved any other way except completely and solely through Jesus Christ, and that you would bring them to a place of repentance of sin and faith in Jesus for salvation. Father, would you be worshipped and glorified through our time in your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your copy of God's word, I invite you to open up to Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 through 25. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 through 25. We're going to look at these seven verses this morning as we continue to uh, walk through Paul's letter to the church churches of Galatians. As we as we consider what Paul has been saying thus far, it may lead us, and maybe you have just wondered this um, just sometime in the past, maybe recently or a long time ago, uh, you maybe wondered, if the law can't save, then why in the world did God give the law? You ever asked yourself that? If the law can't save us, then why in the world did God give the law? Think about what Paul has been saying thus far. He, he, he has set up, really, the need to answer this question. He, he said over and over that the law is impossible. It's impossible for the law to save. 
There's no way that the law can rescue us from our sin. And he's focused a lot on the person of Abraham. As he's gone back to, um, to the past, he's talked a lot about this guy named Abraham and the promises that God has given to Abraham. And, and then he's talked about salvation history. He's talked about how God originally gave these promises and that salvation is found in these promises that God gave to Abraham. So it leads to this question. You can almost imagine uh, perhaps the Galatian believers going, well, then why would God give the law? And maybe even the false teachers using that to say, listen, Paul's just throwing the law out. He's saying that the law doesn't matter. In fact, he may even be saying that the law is bad, that it's bad. And so they would twist Paul's understanding of the law to try to show that maybe Paul was, didn't, didn't know what he was talking about, that he wasn't speaking the true gospel message. But, of course, we know that Paul is. So how does he address this question? They may would say, hey, Paul's spending all his time talking about Abraham. It's like he's forgotten about Moses. Wouldn't you say that Moses is an important guy in the, in the Bible? And everybody would say, yeah, of course Moses is important. He led the people out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, and God gave him the law. Yeah, the false teachers might say, of course Moses is important. And Paul is just leaving Moses out of the, out of the argument. He's not even talking about Moses. So you can't believe Paul. What we're saying is Moses is important. The law is important. And so, yes, you need to believe in the promises given to Abraham. You need to believe in Jesus. But you've got to believe in the law, too. You've got to do the law. You've got to add that to your faith if you really want to be saved. Paul puts on the brakes and he says, I know that's what some of you are thinking. I know that's probably what the false teachers are trying to do and twist what I'm saying. But I want to tell you that the law has a purpose and it is a good purpose. God gave the law. It came from him. Therefore, it can't be evil. God doesn't give us evil. He doesn't give us something that is bad. It's good. So what Saul's going to do, Saul, Paul is going to do, he's saved, all right? So we, let, let's call him Paul. Uh, uh, his name used to be Saul, if you didn't know, but we're going to call him Paul. What Paul is going to do is he's going to say, here is why God has given us the law. I know I've been saying that the law can't save, the law can't save, the law can't save, but that doesn't mean that the law served no purpose or that it contradicted what God was doing, okay? So that's where Paul is going in, in uh, verses 19 through 25. We're going to see that God gave the law in order to help people more clearly see their desperate need for Jesus, the promised deliverer. God gave the law to help people more clearly see that they really, really, really needed God to send the deliverer, Jesus Christ. Now let's read this text and then we'll dive in. Verse 19 through 25. Why then the law? There's the question. It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one. But God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. And we'll stop right there today. 
this is this is some technical stuff. Let's be honest with you. Paul's getting this section of the letter of Galatians. Paul's getting into some technical stuff about what the law is, what its purpose is, and this is one of those passages. For honest, we can kind of read it and go, "Whoa, okay, okay, okay." Let me get let me get on to the part that's a little bit easier to understand. Um, I get that. There's some verses in here that is kind of like, "What in the world is Paul talking about?" But what we see, what we see is very clear indication by Paul that God gave the law to point us to Jesus. And I want us to see this in four truths this morning. And the first of those truths is this. The law emphasized sin so people could see their need for Jesus. Verses 19 through 20, we learn that Paul, uh, excuse me, that the law emphasized sin so people could see their need for Jesus. Notice what Paul says. He says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. It was added because of transgressions. That word because could be translated a couple different ways. That, that Greek word, it could be translated because or it could be translated for the sake of. One meaning because there was so much sin, God gave the law. But it also be translated for the sake of sins. Almost, almost sounding like God gave it so that there would be more sin. But here's what Paul is saying. He's saying the law actually helps us see the severity of our sin. It increases our awareness to the severity of our sin. Now, the word trespass or transgression is used here instead of the word sin. The difference is, we could say this, that all, all sin is not necessarily a trespass, but all trespass is sin. Trespass is the breaking of a known, written-down law. Okay, And so what Paul is saying is that there was sin all the way from the Garden of Eden, all the way onward. All during the time of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all through the years in, in, uh, in Egypt, there was sin. But once God gave the law, the written law, now there are trespasses. There is an actual breaking of a law. Now, why would God then give this law that actually intensifies sin? It helps us more clearly see that we are sinning. I want to point to two verses, and I want to give you a little illustration, okay? So Romans chapter 5, verse 20, we find this, th- these words. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And I'm going to back up to Romans chapter 4, verse 15, and I'm going to read this verse. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now, almost sounds like if God hadn't given us the law, then we wouldn't have broken any law and we wouldn't be under God's wrath. It's not what he's saying. We would be under God's wrath whether God gave a law or not. From the very first sin in the Garden of Eden, we're guilty. And even in Romans chapter 5, before that verse in verse 20 that I read, Paul said that we're all connected with Adam. And in Adam, all have died. We are guilty whether God gave the law, the Ten Commandments, and his written law in the Old Testament. We are guilty whether he gave that or not. So then what's the purpose of the law? It's to help us see the severity of our sin. Think about it this way. Let's say say there there were no traffic laws, okay? There were no traffic laws, but there were police officers, and their job was to police the roads, and if you're driving recklessly or in a way that's causing, putting other people in danger, then they have the right to pull you over. So I'm driving, and a cop pulls me over, and he says, uh, you're guilty 
you're driving recklessly. You're, you're, you're putting people in danger. And I say, well, explain further. And he says, well, you're just driving recklessly. You're just, you're putting people in danger. Now, was that, is that wrong for me to do, to drive in a way that would put other people in danger? Yes, that was wrong. I am guilty. But what exactly am I guilty of? I, I understand that I've, that I've sinned, so to speak. I understand that I've done something wrong. But it's hard for me to see the, the seriousness with which I have offended whatever imaginary law is out there. All right? But what if he walks up or she walks up to my window and I roll the window down and says, you've been driving recklessly and you, you're guilty. And I say, oh, what was I doing? And he says, well, let's see. You were breaking the speed limit, which is against the law. And you didn't use your turn signal, which is against the law. And you were swerving between the lanes, which is against the law. And you didn't have your lights on and it's midnight and that's against the law. You see what that's done? It's, it's really opened my eyes up to the severity of what I have done. Was I guilty whether there was laws or not? Yeah, I was guilty. I was putting other people in danger. But because there are specific laws that I have now broken, it intensifies what I've done. Now, oh, yeah, I am in big trouble. Look at all of these laws that I have broken. What Paul is saying is that the law came in and was added for the sake of transgressions. The point being, we need to be woken up to the severity of our sin. The sin is a big deal. It is contrary to who God is. The law gives us a picture of what God's expectations are. It gives us a standard. And we have fallen miserably short of that standard. You say, well, that sounds like bad news. It is bad news. But here's what that does. It increases not only the, the, our awareness of the severity of our sin, it also increases our longing for the promised deliverer. Notice what he says. It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. That offspring we already learned in the previous passages, Jesus. And so God gave the law. He put it in place until Jesus came so that when he showed up, the Israelites, the Jews would say, this is who we need because that law, we keep breaking it and breaking it and breaking it. And no matter how hard we try, We've broken God's law, and we know it's God's law, and we can see how much we've broken it, which shows that we deserve so much wrath from God. We need this offspring. We need Jesus to come. The law served a temporary purpose that began on Mount Sinai and ended on Mount Calvary. Once the promised offspring had arrived, then this longing for the promised deliverer was over. It had pointed people towards him, and now he had come. Then we get to the end of verse 19 and verse 20, and Paul starts throwing in some things here, and it kind of makes us scratch our head to begin with. But what we'll show is that not only is, does the law increase our awareness of, our, of the severity of our sin and increases the longing for the promised deliverer, but it also increases awareness for the need for solely divine intervention. Notice what he says about the law. He says that it was put in place through angels by an intermediary or, or a mediator. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. What in the world is Paul talking about? All of a sudden, he's talking about angels and a mediator and the law, and but God is one. Well, even though in Exodus 19, when the, when the Israelites are on Mount Sinai and they're giving the law, they're, God's giving them the law, 
there's no mention, specific mention of angels there. It does seem like from, from some other scriptures that angels were involved in the process. Uh, there's a, a somewhat of a reference in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2. It's not very clear. But if we go to Acts chapter 7, uh, Stephen is giving his speech right before he is put to death because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And twice in there, he references the law in connection with angels. In chapter 7 of Acts, verse 38, we find these words. This is the one, he's talking about Moses, who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Talking about the law. All right. Then if we go to the end of Stephen's speech in verse 53, he says, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So what Paul's doing is he's, he's making reference to this law was given through angels, okay, by an intermediary, intermediary or mediator. That mediator is Moses. Not talking about Jesus here, okay? Yes, other places in Scripture, Jesus is the mediator between us and God. But here he's talking about the man Moses. So here's the picture that he's painting. He says, the law was given through angels by a man named Moses who was a mediator. And then he says, now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Here's his point. We, who've broken God's law, stand in desperate need of a solely divine intervention. The law involved man too much. In a sense, the law depends upon God and man. It depended upon, it depended upon in one sense, the angels somehow to communicate that to Moses. It depended on Moses to receive it. It depended on Moses to share it rightly with the people of Israel. And then, if we just take that to its logical conclusion, it depended on humans to keep it. That's too much dependence on humans for humans to be saved. We cannot save ourselves. So, a little confusing in what Paul is saying here, but his point is we need a completely divine plan of rescue. We need God to rescue us all on his own. We don't need him to go through Moses or any other human being. Unless, of course, that human is God and his name is Jesus. Then it's the completely divine plan of rescue. And that's exactly what we need. God is one. God's oneness stands in contrast to the law, which depends partially on mankind. However, God's oneness stands in harmony with salvation through promise, which depends completely on God. Jesus being the fulfillment of that plan. One commentator said it this way, the very existence of a mediator in the giving of the law implies an involvement on the human side that stands in contrast to the gift character of the promise suggested by the confession that God is one. Ultimately, people didn't need Moses or any other human. People needed and still need a completely divine plan of rescue so that we'd be completely dependent upon God's grace not on human doing. And God's divine plan of salvation was and is Jesus. So, if the law actually emphasizes sin, but then with the purpose of leading us to faith in Jesus Christ, if it emphasizes sin, then we might be tempted to ask, is the law contrary to the promise? The law emphasizes the sin in our lives, and the promise 
rescues us from our sin, so are they opposed to one another. Well, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that Paul has already talked about. For instance, back in verse 18, law is opposed to promise if we see it as a means of gaining salvation. But now in verse 21, he's going to say that no, it's not contrary. It actually acts in cooperation with the promise. So truth number two, the law cooperated with the promise so people have no other option but Jesus. He asked this question in verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Is it, is it contrary? Since the law can't save, does it work in opposition to the promise? And Paul's answer is very clearly, absolutely not. The law is not working against the promise unless, of course, we're trying to be saved by the law, which the law was never intended to do. God never intended for the law to save us. That wasn't why he gave it. It's not contrary. It's in agreement with or cooperating with the promise. Think about it this way. Um, I'll tell you a little story. When I, when I was like uh, probably 10 years old, 11, 12, somewhere in there, I was playing football on a little, little, little guy's football team. And um, and I played on offense. I played uh, left guard. Now, if you know anything about football, you're probably thinking, why in the world were you on the offensive line? I'm not a big or strong guy now, and I was even stronger when I was 11 years old, okay? And I, we can go into that another time, but um, I guess I could hit hard. I don't know. I don't think I could, but whatever. Maybe I just didn't know where to put me, so they just stuck me on the offensive line. I didn't have anybody else put there. But I remember one, I remember one practice. I got so frustrated because they were teaching us where to line up in relation to the center. So you got the center, you got the guard. And so they were telling me where to put my foot. So they lined the center up, the guy who snaps the ball. And then one coach came over to me, and he lined me up, and he said, you put your foot right next to his foot. You just line them up right next to each other. And I was like, I got it, coach. You know, so I'm trying to figure out how to play this game of football. And so I'm like, all right, I know I can do that. I can put my foot right next to his foot. So I'm, I, we run a few snaps and practice, and I do that. And I'm like, I'm doing a good job. Well, just a couple minutes later, another coach comes over, and he's like, what are you doing, son? You know, and I'm like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And he said, no, you're supposed to put line your toe up with his heel. So like this, kind of to, to the back and to the side. I know it's only six inches difference, but it made a difference. And I, he got on to me for lining my foot up in the wrong side. I was like, but the other coach just told me to do it a different way. And you're telling and but, of course, you can't talk back to the coaches. So in my mind, this war's going on, I'm like, one guy saying one thing and one guy saying another thing, and they don't match up, and it left me really frustrated. If we don't understand what Paul is saying here, then we could kind of see this like one coach saying one thing and one coach saying another, and the law being contrary to the promises of God. But that's not what, God is, what, what Paul is saying. We could even go back to the previous verse, God being one, to show that God would never give us two things that stand in opposition to one another. We don't, we don't have multiple coaches out there. God is one. And so if he gave the promises and he gave the law, then they must work together. It's exactly what they do. He says in verse 21, is the law the contrary to the promises of God? Well, of course not. Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. In other words, the law is not in contrast, it's not contrary to the promise because it was never intended to give us the life that we need. God knew that the law couldn't save us. 
He didn't give us the law and say, well, I already said that salvation was through promise, but now I'm saying that salvation is through the law. And then we go, well, which is it, God? I'm so frustrated. The law never could give us the life that we needed. It can never give us eternal life because the law doesn't have the ability to deal with our sin. The law tells us what we should be doing, but it doesn't give us a a solution for when we fall short of that law. It doesn't fix the problem of sin in our lives. Which then leaves us realizing that there's no other option but Jesus. It cooperates with the law, the the law cooperates with the promise so that we're left going, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. How then did the law then act in cooperation with that promise rather than act contrarily towards the promise. Well, Paul gives us two pictures, two word pictures of the law. And these are our last two truths here this morning. How, how do they work together to point out the sin in our life and help us know that we need Jesus? Third truth you find in verse 22 through 23 is this. The law imprisoned so people could be set free through faith in Jesus. The law imprisoned so people could be set free through faith in Jesus. Notice verse 22. And Paul has just said, For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness or justification would indeed be by the law. Verse 22. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. We go on to verse 23 and we continue to see this imprisonment language. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. What's Paul saying? The law and our continual breaking of the law helps us see that we are actually imprisoned. That we are enslaved to the law. We are living under sin, verse 22 says, and the law helps us clearly see that. This word imprisoned is also used in the book of Luke. This Greek word is used to talk about the net that would be drawn up out of the water to the boat and would completely enclose and capture all the fish that were inside of it. That's, what this, that's, that's another way this word is used in the Greek language. And that's how we are under the law in sin. We are completely ensnared by the law because we have broken the law. It's not because the law itself is bad. It's because we can't keep the law. And so we're imprisoned. And we need to be set free. But in order for us to be set free, you know what the first step is? Realizing that you're in prison. If you don't know that you are enslaved, then you don't know that you need to be set free. And so when the person comes to set you free, you won't believe in him. The law was meant to help us see that we are imprisoned. It's kind of like it's kind of it's kind of like it serves as the bars on the cell and the orange jumpsuit and the chains that are tying us down. So that we wake up and see, I actually am enslaved and I need someone to rescue me. The law does that for us. As we look at the law and see that we fall short, we see, I, I can't do anything. And every time, every time, every time I try to be good enough, I say, all right, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm going to do better. I find that I can't do it. I can't be better. Maybe I can be better for just a little while, but sooner or later I'll fall right back into sin. And I see that I need somebody that can set me free and that someone is Jesus. And so seeing our imprisonment leads us to freedom through faith in Jesus. 
so that it imprisons us so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The law has a redemptive purpose, not because it can redeem us, but because it points us to the Redeemer. And his name is Jesus. One biblical commentator said it this way. He put it so well. He said, by so provoking transgressions, by so exposing human wickedness to the scrutiny of divine holiness, by so eliminating every avenue of self-justification that the sinner is drawn, conscience-stricken and impoverished to the only place where authentic redemption and liberation can be found. We know that that place is the cross of Jesus Christ. And the law helps us see our need for Jesus. One final word picture, fourth truth that we see, verses 24 through 25. Not only does the law act as a prison so that we'll know that we have something we need to be set free from, but it also acts as a discipliner. Okay, and that's the best word that I can use right now. So here you go. The law disciplines so people can be justified through faith in Jesus. The law disciplines so that people can be justified through faith in Jesus. This is a hard word to translate. And you can look at all different versions of, of the Bible and see there's a lot of different ways that we could translate this. Some are a little bit better than others. Um, let me read verse 24 and 25 again. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. This word, this word guardian refers to a practice during this day and age when Paul wrote this where there would be a family, especially if it was a wealthier family, and they would have slaves or servants, and they would also have children in the home. And so their children would oftentimes be taken care of by a slave or a servant there. And for the first few years, they kind of be more like a nanny, right? You know, clean up after their spills, make sure they got their food, kind of a, a, a loving nanny. But once they got to about the age of six until late adolescence, they were put under this person, okay? And I'm not going to say the Greek word, but it's translated in my, in my version, guardian. But they were put under this person with a particular title, and this slave or servant's job was to watch out for this young young person from about six to late teenage years. Which sounds like a good thing. And a lot of what this slave would do was good. Make sure that, you know, the kid went to school. Make sure the kid did his or her homework. And that kind of thing. However, there was often harsh, harsh discipline involved. The slave or the, the servant would use sometimes very severe means of discipline to make sure that this child did what he or she was supposed to do. You didn't do your homework, you got a beating. And sometimes it wasn't a very pleasant beating. Not that there's such thing as a pleasant one, but you know what I mean. It was a bad one. And so this, this person became oftentimes to be viewed in a very negative context. The, Paul says the law acted as this. In our lives, as a disciplinarian, because here's what the law does. The law constantly tells us that we fall short. It's kind of like that guardian standing watch over the kids saying, up, oh, you did that wrong. Up, oh, you did that wrong. Up, oh, you did that wrong. All right, come get your beating. That's what the law does. The law says, here's what you're supposed to do. And here's what's going to happen if you don't do it. You're going to be punished. But it provides no means of rescue. 
It provides no means for us to be saved and forgiven of what we've done. And because we are sinners by our very nature, we just fall short and short and short of the law, of God's glory, God's standard. And so the law says, do this, and we can't do it, and so you're going to be disciplined. You're going to be punished. But it was temporary. It was put in place until, until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. The law is meant to temporarily expose people's inability to keep the law perfectly by constantly condemning them. And this condemning discipline was meant to prepare people for faith in Jesus. Now the false teachers are saying, go back to the law. And Paul's saying, no, that means you're going back to prison. And that means you're going back to the guardian just to be disciplined, but not to be rescued. Don't go back to the law. Believe and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Listen, you and I today are so tempted to go back to the law to find what only God's grace can give us. We are. We're tempted to do that. We're tempted to go back to the law and say, well, if I'll just do this, 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 and this, then God will love me. And God says, I already love you. You want proof? Look to the cross. I didn't say do this, 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 and then I'll send Jesus to rescue you. I just went ahead and sent him. Because I have mercy and grace and love that I'm ready to pour out on you. And yet we then find ourselves going right back to the law and say, oh, God must not love me today because I messed up. Maybe God's not pleased with the choice that you made, but he still loves. We can't go to the law to find what only God gives us through his grace. Here's what the law does. Summarize all that Paul is saying. The law constantly screams at you and me. You stand condemned before a holy God. We say, well, that doesn't sound very good. That doesn't sound very nice. Why would God, who gave the law, give us something that screams in my face, you are condemned, you are condemned, you are condemned. Well, let me put it how a teenage guy put it to me Friday. I was speaking at a school, and I asked a group of students, I said, if somebody came up to you and asked you, what is the gospel, what is the good news? What would you say? And this this high schooler, this guy, he spoke up with a lot of wisdom. And he said, well, he said, I think the first thing I would have to say is you need to understand the bad news. Because if you don't understand the bad news, then the good news isn't really good news. The law helps us know the bad news so that we will be ready to receive the good news. It is good for God to give us something that says, you stand condemned. So that when Jesus shows up, we'll say, I need him and what he has done because I stand condemned. You want proof that I stand condemned? Here's the law. You see this commandment? I've broken that one. You see this commandment? I've broken that one. You see this commandment? I've broken that one. And there's no way I could ever make up for the wrong that I've done. I stand before God condemned. But God has graciously shown that to me so that I know that I need Jesus. Until faith has come. Until Christ has come. The law was given. So, here's the question. 
Apart from Jesus, you are under sin. You are under the law. It's what this passage says. So do you feel the weight of it? Do you today feel the weight of sin in your life? When you compare yourself to the law of God, do you see that you are chained up, locked up, and awaiting certain judgment from God? Do you see that? Do you feel that today? Then I'm going to say, good. Because now you are ready. Now you are ready to receive Jesus Christ by faith and have that weight completely lifted off of you by the one who died for your sins. This is the good news. And this is how the law fits in with the good news. So run to the cross and be set free. Christian, Christian, do you find yourself, even as a follower of Christ, sometimes being burdened and weighed down by sin that you commit? Probably so. I do sometimes. Here's what we do. We run to the cross. And we say, but Jesus has forgiven me. And I stand set free. And sin no longer has dominion over me because of what Christ has done. The law helps us run to the cross. I hope that you have run to the cross and found mercy and grace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. If you haven't, today, trust in him. If you have, worship him today for helping you see that you're a sinner, but then providing a way of salvation through his son. Heavenly Father, we bow before you and we thank you. We thank you for giving us the law, even though it seems like the law is bad. And sometimes it seems like it's bad because it just it, we can't live up to it. It's like someone constantly sticking their finger in our face going, but you're wrong, but you failed, but, but you can't do it. You, you can't ever be good enough. Look at this area of your life where you messed up. Look at this sin. But God, it's good for us to know that we have broken your law so that we'll know that we are enslaved to sin and that there's a guardian that's just constantly uh, uh, whipping us so that we know that we need to be set free from that. And we thank you that you sent Jesus. And so we see, Lord, the gospel purpose of the law is to point us to the gospel. It's to point us to Jesus on the cross. The law, Father, you gave it so that we would know that we need Jesus. Father, I pray if there's anyone in this place who stands condemned under your law and has not received forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ today, they would turn from that sin, trust in Jesus Christ to set them free from that sin. Father, as followers of Christ, help us to worship you. Help us to live under grace each and every day, knowing, knowing that our sins are forgiven. And so we can live our lives for your glory and praise and honor without being weighed down by the guilt and shame of breaking your law, the guilt and shame of sin. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.